because it was some of the best fishing I'd ever seen. Like literally you could have walked on yellowfin. Uh, welcome back to a classic. I'm your host, Dan Munts, and today my guest is an absolute diehard fisho. There's just no other way to describe him. He's an author for Fishing Monthly Magazine, plays a huge part in Tweedbait's Instagram, and runs his own YouTube channel. So links will all be in the bio. But more than that, he's now going to join the team of hosts as part of the Fishing Podcast on a Classic. So with other fishermen, women from across the world and Australia, he's going to dive into more stories with them. So here's an introduction to your new host, Leon McClymont. Mate, how you doing? Yeah, good, good, good. Glad to be here. Yeah, this is long overdue, so stoked to get you on here. That's the way. But... Um, Look, mate, give us a bit of background on yourself for anyone who's not familiar with you. Um, yeah, well, I'm 37 years of age. Um, yeah, I've just been fishing ever since I was young. The old man's, you know, that was his thing. He always tried to take us down the creek fishing. It was generally take, chasing like uh, not so desired species these days, like catfish and um, stuff like that up the back of the creeks, bass, but, you know. Um, we, As a young kid, I was more into surfing and skating, so... Fishing wasn't really, you know, the main thing when I was that young. And the old man just pushed it for us, trying to keep us out of trouble, really. <laughs> so how did that develop? Like, obviously, i got a young bloke as well. He's only eight, and his patience just runs out in about 10 minutes. That's exactly what you're starting with us. We'd get hungry. We'd be warning, you know, take us home. He'd have us on the beach, you know, uh, freezing cold, chasing Taylor. And our job was just to basically just uh, pick the bait out of frozen pilly blocks and yeah, break the necks of the, the tail that were coming in. So you'd be freezing cold, sandy, and as a young kid, yeah, it was just, you know, you just wanted to go home <laughs> most of the time. But yeah. nowadays that's all I'm, I'm, I'm in for, you know, those sandy cold nights chasing fish. Yep. So when was the point that it changed as a young bloke? Um, oh, you know, it was probably when I got about 16, 17, a bit older, I was starting to fish with my sister, uh, sister's um, partner, and he's, he was right into it. And, I was getting into a bit of trouble as well, you know, so I was looking to steer clear of the trouble scene and, and get out and do something different. So, yeah, me and him used to fish most, you know, Friday, Saturday nights rather than going to the pubs and hitting that sort of scene or the parties, so, you know, whatnot. So we started fishing and, yeah, it just it went from there, eh? Just snowballed. Just loved just it. Developed into a session. Yeah, yeah. So, like, we've got some wild stories here from you, but before you jump into that, like, over the years, how do you educate yourself? Like you're doing all sorts of different fishing. You're on the boat, you're off the land, everything. How, how have you educated yourself on, you know, tactics, techniques, rigs, everything? Mate, it's just basically through trial and error. Uh, even though I do run my own YouTube channel, I sort of never really got into the YouTube scene, especially the early days. I used to watch a bit of the Morning Tide Boys. They were always a good pump up. But, um, yeah, no, like other than that, it's just mainly through trial and error myself. Like I've tied my own knots even... I'm not even sure if they are the right ones, but they seem to work. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just basically just through trial and error, and just having time on time when you know doing that sort of stuff, you know, and, and learning off other fishermen too. You can always learn from you know other people in the scene, you know, different locations, what they're doing, and you know their spots and what they use. You know, you could, you know, you can always learn something from everyone. Yeah, definitely, mate. Well, we're going to learn a bit from you here because <laughs> I want to get into some of these sessions. So. Look, the first one I want to talk about is an absolute standout, like this monster cobia you got. It yeah, ended yeah, up being yeah. 175 centimetres and 35 kilos or 77 pounds. So take me back to the start of that day, mate. What happened there? Oh, we, we didn't get an actual official um, weight on that fish, unfortunately. Like we bottomed out the, oh, didn't you? Yeah, we bottomed out the set of scales and stuff. So 
yeah, oh. yeah. It could have been a very, you know, um, set Australian record, but um, yeah, we just didn't weigh it in properly. Unfortunately, we thought we had um, the set of scales that were capable of it, but they weren't. But, oh no! Yeah. What is the Australian record? Do you know? Um, for 30, 30 pound, I think it was thirty four or thirty seven kilos, something like that. Yeah. Shit! So you're close. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure that fish is over forty. Yep. Yeah, well over forty kilos. Well, take me back to the start of it, mate. What was the plan that day? Because I think you had a couple of issues getting out. Yeah. If I read right on your story there. I teed up with a mate. We were meant to go out early. And um, I was looking after my kids at the time. Um, we had to set them off for school. And so I had a few issues there. They were late for school, running late. We didn't get, get that out. And then um, he also had a few issues um, on his behalf. And we were about to can it. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, look, let's still go. You know, better late than never. So I dropped the kids at school, got a coffee. By then it was about like 8.30, 9 o'clock. Wind had picked up and it was already, swell was a little bit up that day too. So with the added extra wind, I was a little bit sceptical about going in his little tinny because he's, um, you know, I drive his boat for him. He's not more of an offshore fisherman. He fishes the inshore stuff, like inside the estuaries. So anyway, we met, I ended up teeing him up. So just kept jeeing him up, you know, let's go, let's go. We showed up at the boat ramp, met him there. Uh, wind was blowing a fair bit. By the time we got to the bar, I was like, oh, shit. You know, we hit the bar. I was, I was already wet. As soon as we got through the bar, I was wet. I was like, we had, the, we had these ideas of going out to the fad in this little tinny and getting um, these dolphin fish, you know. And, um, yeah, that was already, you know, the plan A was already called off. So we just decided to cruise over this little local bait reef. We were uh, getting some bait there. And, um, I actually noticed it was fairly loaded than usual, just before, especially because it was just before mackerel season. Like mackerel haven't sort of moved in and, you know, pushed all the bait around. So there's a fair few slimers and bait holding them there. And then I sent a few archers and I was like, oh, you know, why don't we just fish here? Saves us, you know, darting around left, right and centre and saves me getting wet. <laughs> so we just threw it. We were love. Our goal also was just to catch a heap of bait for mackerel season coming up. So we're just smacking a heap of slimies, you know. And then, yeah, when we sent, sent the archers, I thought, we might as well just stick one out the back while we're fishing. And, you know, while we're getting the bait, we might as well uh, fish. So we stuck one out the back. And um, it was only on a rod that I'd previously set up for a jackfish in a couple of nights earlier. So I'd had like a two O's on it, snell two O's on a um, 50-pound 50, 50, 50 um, leader with a 30-pound main line. And, um, yeah, so... It sort of like, you know, for the inshore fishing, it's it's good, you know, it's it's pretty capable of doing all that. But, you know, when you're hooking, you know, 40 kilo fish, it's sort of not ideal. It's a little bit, un, uh, yeah, a little bit underclassed. As I, fa- as I found out, it was an hour, hour into the fire. But, um, so anyway, we, we put the bait out and um, we just drifted around, sort of forgot, half nearly forgot about it because we're just slowly trolling it, um, trolling it around as we move back and forth up the reef jigging our slimies and um yeah the rod just took off loaded up and uh, i took the reins on it because i was close to the rod it was mine <laughs> even though Lucky. yeah yeah you may put the um, bait out so i'll give him that he was on chuck- <laughs> he was on chucked it out so I, I i took the rod and it screamed off like a fish and had a couple of good head shakes so i was pretty confident and then um they did the old typical just dive down under your feet and slugged it out of it and i was like oh you know I think we've got a shark here, you know, and got a shark and being that we only had no white trace either, you know, so I was like, oh, it should bite us off. Thought it was going to be a short-lived fight, you know, and then um, it, 
Yeah, just did all typical shark things. You know, we even got it up a couple of times. We never got a sight on it. But we got, got, like, got a look on it, but it got it up a couple of times. And then I think it was about half an hour into the fight, probably the third or fourth time I got it up, we, uh, it hit the surface about 30 metres from the boat. And I still thought it was a shark. It hit the surface, took off across the surface and sort of then dived back down right in under my feet again. And I was like, oh, we looked at each other and we sort of went, said the exact same thing did you see a fin and we both were like no no i didn't see a fin eh?" and then he was like he was destined he's like no no it's a cobia it's a cobia like you know it it just to me it just didn't feel like a a cobia it felt like a shark so and i just was i'm pretty usually i'd be pretty like um vocal about having a good fish on i'll be letting you know if you're doing anything wrong (laughs) (laughs) but this one you know like i don't know i was just pretty calm and placid mate probably because i just you know, I thought it was a shark or I just, you know, condoned yourself a bit more. I don't know. Do you get them in there usually? You yeah, yeah, there's heaps of sharks around, okay. especially in this. No, no, cobia, I mean. Oh, in the, yeah, this reef, they sort of, this reef sort of, no one fishes it's the bait reef, you know. It's where you go, you get your bait and then head out. Okay. But um, that's the problem, yeah. Usually half the time you go on the top of fish, go and look for fish. When you, you just pass it, you pass it. Because um, we're seeing the good marks there, and there was a load of bait. You know, wherever there's food, there's got to be some sort of predators. So that's why we stuck that bait out that day. Otherwise, we yeah probably would have just moved on to the next reef. And because it was so rough, because it was so rough as well, that's why we stuck around. But yeah, so we end up seeing the fish. Yeah, we end up seeing, seeing it come to the surface and that, and dive back down under the boat. And I was like, nah, it's a shark. You know, just rode it off again for a shark and. You know, kept going at that and that. And then, you know, like it got to literally an hour past, you know, into the fight time. And um, I was literally, I was, I was, I was gutted. I was, I, I was like, I'd had enough. I, I started to spool the, like, you know, palm the spool a bit, getting, you know, just getting sick of it. I was like, nah, yeah, this has got to end one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up turning it. I could feel it was starting to tire a fair bit, you know, so I ended up turning the fish up. I thought, look, this could be a cave, you know. I better not like bust this off. So, you know, I end up pulling it up. Get when I got to the surface, it sort of came up about eight meters, maybe from the boat and circled on the boat, and had another fish following it. But um, it was it was that big. I was literally like, I was yeah, breathtaking. I didn't even know what to say, other than being totally exhausted anyway. But um, yeah, he was there. Looked at, he's like, look at the size of it. You know, that's when we realized we did have a cave you're on, and you know, I started sort of getting a fairly bit nervous. You know, had the heart dropping and gonna lose it. Yeah, I didn't want you know. <laughs> this is where this is where good fish are lost. You know, those last that last five percent of the fight, throughout the boat, and um, and especially generally being cobia, they they they'll fight to the, the last minute. Even in the boat, they'll keep fighting. But yeah, luckily we had this one on for so long because it was pretty exhausting, and um, I could see how nervous my mate was because he was on the gaff. And he knew, he knew I was going to give it to him if he if he lost it or if he stuffed this Fair up. Fair enough, too. So yeah, and um, he came in. I believe the first shot he stuck it in the side, the shoulder. And these things are typical for like a crop roll, like a big death roll. These things, like especially when you hit him with a gaff at the surface. So he's he's hit it with a gaff, and yeah, typical enough, it's rolled, shook the gaff, and then it's took off under the boat and uh, I've had to fully hang over with a rod and the setup trying to stop me line from rubbing the um, boat out. And then uh, he managed to, well, I managed to actually get it back up and then he's missed the second shot. He got the second shot on my line and, uh, that, you know, that that was fairly teeth and hair moment, you know. Um, and then 
on the third shot, it, luckily enough, he stuck it in the jaw, or like just under the jaw a bit in the, into the gills. And um, it was that big, he was struggling to lift it. I've had to bloody put you on the rod holder. And we both were onto it, dragging it over into his little tinny. By the time we, by the time we got it in, yeah, I've literally said to him, I said, because I forgot to put the GoPros on, because like, we're at the bait reef, you know, I had them on board. I just said, nah, you know, no use filming yet. The conditions are average and we didn't even really have a plan B. So that we didn't really worry about filming. So we missed missed all the whole battle, which is I'm spewing about, because it was like literally fish of a lifetime. And then, um, yeah, we got on board and I just said to him, quick, grab the camera, you know, and he's grabbed the phone and that's that's where the video starts is me, you know, breathtaking, gobsmacked, couldn't even answer his, answer the questions and, yeah, that was it. So that was just as you got it in that video? Yeah, literally, we're only like five, 600 metres off the, off the, you know, shore. We weren't that far out. And that was literally, yeah, right as, right as we landed it, that was it. Shit, it's a monster. I have to share that again. But So just explain for anyone who doesn't know what a tinny is. So what size boat you got here? Because they're not big. Oh, it's not my boat. I believe it's a 4.6 Renegade. Yeah, just a little tinny. So that's like a third the size of the boat, the fish you're pulling into it. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Literally, it was... The width, How'd the you width get it of the over boat. The side? Yeah, the, it was the same, pretty much the width of the boat. It was the same width. Yeah. Oh, dragging out the side was another battle of its own. You know, like because this thing's just like literally a log, like a log. And my arms are already spent. Like I was spent, and um, it'd be a bit bit of a balancing game too, really. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, you drag. We're both on one side as well as dragging over the, the fish. So yeah, it was a it was a fair, fairly um. You know, you don't want to roll, end up in the water with it because that was one thing we worried about was getting sharked as well, you know, like, even though we thought we had a shark on. Yeah, right. So you got it in. You've kept it, obviously. And yeah, What's yeah. the best way to eat cobia? Oh, mate. Anyway, cobia's beautiful. That, like, people are a bit um, sceptical about eating mature fish, like such old fish, but um, that one was delicious. <laughs> we, we had it, um, I bought about six mates over, one being the guy that were in the court with me, um, and about five others. We had cobia ribs on the barbie. We had cobia tacos, and I believe we had ceviche as well. But I think that was kingfish, not the um, yellowtail kingfish, not the cobia. So full on feast. Yeah, yeah. Did you get a mold made up like behind you? There? Nah, no. Nah, I've, I've actually inquired about it. Um, I've still got the head in the freezer. The head weighs five kilos alone. That's like, it. Yeah, gutted and gilled. No, no gills, just five kilos a head. But to get the, the mould made up like this one, it's like two and a half grand. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's a fairly big, um, and at 1.7, you know, 175, that takes up a fair bit of wall space too, and we're already um, in a bit of a pickle. Pretty full layer. Yeah. <laughs> I think I might just get the head made up, like so, you know, with the, the rig hanging out. I've, I've actually got the rig here. I'll be two sacks. Oh, yeah, grab it, yeah. <laughs> grab the head too. <laughs> yeah. Oop, don't really keep many rigs. But this one I've definitely kept for because I want to hang it out the cobia jaw. But how's that? Uh, that's a 2-0 that's a hoodlum. Yep. Um, Jeez, tough hook. Yeah, and that's a 50-pound. Um, which mono, which leaders are using? I believe it's that um, cast. 50, yeah, 50 pound cast leader. So quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. You'd have to give it up to the, the 30 pound main line as well. Like, you know, that's the main thing that's got you connected. So, you know, 
that's made that strong new leader is the Wickers Party links, you know, is where it's all at still. Yeah. No, that's a ripper. Yeah, I was going to say, I've got a mate down here. Who he, uh, I don't know. I've never caught a cobia, but what, what's their jaw like? Um, he, their teeth? They, they haven't got much in the way of teeth? No, nah, no, nah, they're not like um, most other fish. These ones are like sort of like a whale shark, I suppose, or a, a whale, you know. They've got like raspy plates. Yeah, okay. So they've got like um, four raspy plates, two on the bottom and two on the top. And it's like, and they're filled with millions of micro little teeth. So, yeah, they're not like big, sharp teeth like most other, you know, um, fish. But, yeah, they've got millions of little raspy teeth for, I suppose, just holding on to stuff. Like, yeah, what, they're sort of pointing backwards too. So once you put your hand in there or whatnot and you, they grab you, they've got a fair, fairly oh, firm grip. Yeah, no, this bloke makes up the jaws. I don't know if you've seen the jaws I've where they, jaws they clean in, them up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he does those and, like, they look good, some of them. Yeah, yeah. I could do that with these as well, but I think I'm not too sure yet. I might do the skull up or get, like, the yep. actual head taxidermy on it. On that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you got to do something with it. Yeah, yeah, it's in the freezer. <laughs> yep. Yeah, well, that's a ripper one, mate. But um, I guess moving on from there, like, you're a pretty insane land-based fisherman. Like some of your rock up and stuff is wild, like decent-sized seas, barefoot, you know, catching solid fish. Yeah, um, that's where it all started. Rock oven, yeah, yeah land-based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. where, you know, the passion got into it, chasing Taylor mainly first and then, you know, chasing Jewfish. And once you start catching, you know, decent-sized fish, you sort of just want to keep moving it up and pushing it to the next level, you know. So I started trying to target the pelagics and stuff like that. And being on the north coast of New South Wales where I'm from, um, there are some nice pelagic, you know, spots to target the long tail and stuff like that, but most of them are generally too shallow and headlands are a little bit rough and how's it going for it so i was doing a lot of traveling north up to you know central queensland chasing them up there and were you doing that alone or did you have a mentor who, who was a bit more experienced or you were just trial and error again no no my um girlfriend uh, at the time had family up there so it was a win-win situation i said i'd uh, yeah let's go see the family you know i'd shoot off fishing and uh, you know i'd be out the rocks all day long and yeah my mentor at the time actually was I knew no one. It was just I, I did this all on my own, you know. Went up there, found the found the ledge. Didn't even know it actually existed that ledge. And then yeah, met one of the you know the gurus of land based fishing, um, Goshi G man. And um, yeah, he was pretty much my mentor at the time. You know, um, watching him, you know, doing his thing. It, it's he'd sniff a fish out of anywhere that fella, right? You know, he's it, he's a good fisher. So that's where I, you know, basically. Um, learnt most of my land-based um, pelagic fishing stuff was watching him do his thing next to him at the catwalk. But yeah, it all you know. A lot of people say it's right place, right time, but it comes down to just dedication, time, commitment, and failure. You know, <laughs> you learn the most when you fail. Yeah, you learn the most when you fail. So I guess doing that. What's your go-to? Have you got one go-to setup, or you just chop and change depending on what and where, um, where you're fishing? Yeah, it's yeah, it's a chop and change a bit, but I do usually generally do have one go-to setup for land-based like uh, fishing for pelagics and stuff like that. You, you, and it's basically I just you want something like a this is an old one, Saltega reel, or you, you can go Shimano. You know the brand label's not not basically you know the key, but for me it's all about light. You know, especially if you're going to be chasing pelagics, you're going to be on the rocks for long periods of time. You don't want to be holding big, heavy reels because you get, you know, you're going to get up, you're going to get uh, sore arms casting all day long. So yeah, you something light, 
and some still with a good spool capacity. So, you know, the 55,000 expeditions, I've got a few of them. So it's also, How much line are you getting on those? Um, you get to, with, depending on like what sort of line you use and the poundage and stuff too, but yeah, anywhere between four, you know, 400, 500 metres of line on these, you know. And that's plenty enough for, you know, land-based stuff because you're only casting out, you know, 70, 80 metres, 100 metres max. Yeah, okay. So then, uh, you know, land-based fishing and in, in particular all the rock hopping stuff or fishing off those rocky areas like that are open to the ocean, open ocean swell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, like, it's one of the most dangerous sports or activities, whatever you want to call it, going around. So I haven't done a lot of land-based fishing. I'm, I'm getting a lot more into it right now. It's, yeah. I've primarily been off boats. Yeah. But uh, one of the other founders of a classic, Doigie, he was a mad rock hopper back in his day. And uh, he took me to a few places he used to fish off that were out off Sydney, like like the Maddings and the Merck. Yep. And uh, they don't really fish there anymore, just I think because it's so difficult to get to. And I guess the councils have done what they can to block them off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rock but, you know, going, yeah, they have, yeah. But going and seeing those per- places in person, it just made me sick. Like the cliffs, <laughs> they're scaling down for these fish. It's just, it's wild, man. Like he had a few hairy incidents. Yeah. And uh, he, we're going to go through them one day and have a chat on a podcast and get through a few of those. But, my question is, like, do you have any incidents or close calls that have scared the living shit out of you or, or maybe something you've witnessed that's a bit of a cautionary tale for anyone else doing it? Um, well, as me being the like, you know, grew up on the coast most of the time and that, I'll, you know, grew up surfing or skating, you know, swimming at the beaches, jump off the rocks, you know. So you jump off those same rocks, paddle out with a surfboard, but when you come back to those same rocks with a fishing rod, it's it, even, you know, it, it's not as bad when you're a surfer because you, you know that area, you, you feel a bit more safe. But when you go to a, a spot you've never been to, it's sort of just changes that. So basically I just go in there, look at it, you know, think of worst comes to worst. If I was to end up in the water, you know, where would I want to get out? What was be the, the best you know way to do that? That's usually the first protocol I take when I go to a new zone is to yeah, suss out, you know, what it looks like and what would be the best bloody way out of there. But uh, also as well, like most people that um, and are these statistics of land-based game fishing or rock fishing, there's, it's people that aren't confident enough, you know, that, that, or, or know the area. They basically just waltz in there without watching the, watching the swell, don't even know the tides, you know, and end up being a statistic and washed in and, you know, getting hurt or getting killed at worst, you know. Yep. Yeah, getting bowled around those rocks too on the way out. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know... The, the amount of people that are fishing off the rocks, you know, it is dangerous and, yes, it, it, you know, accidents do happen and, and whatnot, but the amount of people that do fish off the rocks, I think a lot of people, you know, uh, know what they're doing. But, you know, they're the safe ones, you know. Well, I guess land-based fishing, number one fish you've ever got. Oh, it'd have to be that one on the drone, I'd say, with Byron and the Seelsa boys, yeah. Yep. The barefoot one. Was that, that, was that the barefoot one? Yeah, the barefoot one, yeah. Tell me about that, mate. Those rocks don't look, like, soft. <laughs> <laughs> They're surprisingly not too bad, but, yeah, I've got pretty hardened feet for that stuff. I get around the rocks a lot. And, you know, it's all about the way you walk on it, too. You just like walking on coals, I suppose, hot coals. I've never done that. <laughs> yeah, you just get used to it, eh? Yeah, yeah. But at the time, we, uh, we'd been um, chasing these tuna and Byron lives at Fingal and... Um, I was on call, like he'd just call us up and say, you know, I've spotted them. And I'd jump in the car, I'd drop in the hat and race up there, you know, to have a crack at them. And um, he's, he's uh, 
given us a call that on the day and said, you know, they're here. So we've turned up there and I uh, turned up without, you know, not really prepared, had no shoes and nothing like that. And um, yeah, we've flown the bait out. And that's the great thing about these drones, you know, like within five, 10 minutes, we'd spotted the fish. We'd uh, put the bait in front of it and hooked up, you know, like. When I, are you dropping it off the drone or are you just using the drone to spot it? No, nah, no, nah, it's not a release mechanism. It's like a tension wheel. So you put the, the, the line in the uh, attachment, lower the bait down, and then the fish will actually eat the bait and then pluck it from the attachment. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. You can, like, if you wanted to, you could pull the bait out uh, via the rod tip, you know, by just winding up the slack and giving it a bit of a pull. But um, what we're yeah, generally looking for is to get that tuna to, you know, get the, the content, the footage of the tuna eating the bait or taking the lure. So, you know, having having the line attached to the drone is, you know, key to that. That's gold. Yeah. yeah. So you're just moving it in front of them wherever they go. You're just picking it up and... Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that sometimes can be the bit of the you know, the awkward part of this chasing them down the beach, you know, because these tuna, they, they just constantly swimming. So, you know, chasing them down the beach is sometimes the, the hardest part, but other than that. You know, it has opened up these fish to be readily accessible to, to you know, anyone now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I looked at those. I think they were sea ulcer, those yeah, drones. Yeah. yeah, they're not cheap, though. Oh, no, no. No, well, I've lost one. Yeah. I have, yeah. Yeah, that is, it's three years old. It was basically the drone was a bit cracked and getting old and stuff like that. So. Time for an upgrade. Yeah, yeah, I've got one. I've got another one now. So. Yep. So you dropped it. You dropped the bait in front of this tuner and he hooked on? Yeah, yeah. And how'd that go? Yeah, we're we'll, we'll on TLD 25, so um, their, you know, drag capacity is pretty light, but they still get good fish on them. But, um, yeah, it, it had, a, I think we were about 350, 400 metres out, so it had a fair good head start on with the fish, and, and that far out too, it's sort of a bit more in the open water. It's got a bit more of a, you know, current in it with it. So, yeah, it took us, I think it was about close to 45 minutes to get that one in on the TLD. Yeah, it's wild. I have to put that footage up again too because that's um. Well, that was I our... think your feet barefoot was the biggest comment. <laughs> well, that was the second fish at that same ledge on the same day. So we got one a year earlier, but that day it was completely placid as it was flat as low tide, and I washed it in the rock pool, and it was you know it was calm as. A year later, it was like I don't know it was probably like four or five foot. It was pretty big that day, um, you know, on the second time, and you couldn't even see the rock pool that I that I'd previously washed the fish into. That rock pool was like. Um, underwater but um we'd uh when the sets were coming in when the fish got hung up like because it was it was racing back and forth across the front of the ledge and i kept telling byron i was like Look, let's just take it to the beach you know like i didn't want to try and land that fish in front of that set you know in front of those sets and especially knowing there was a good crowd behind me at Ben fingal headland you know like <laughs> pressure's on yeah there's always a good crowd there so i wanted to take it to the beach but um yeah, he was he was pretty destined on trying to get the best content available, <laughs> and that was going to be on the rock. So yeah, when I when I brought it in close, I it had taken north off around the, around the rocks, and I just had to chase it. And I kicked my little toe on the on the rocks. I broke it at the time. I didn't know it bloody hurt, but I, I didn't really feel it that that much because I had such adrenaline rush. But um, when I washed the fish back around, it hooked up on the kanji at one stage. And uh, I'd uh, requested Byron and the cameraman's assistance, and he's just laughed at me. He's like, "Yeah, no, no, it's all you, mate." <laughs> Literally didn't even didn't even take the camera pose out of out of position. Just he was not moved a muscle. 
So that's when I realised this was all me and I was not going to get any assistance. We had no gaff, I had no shoes, swell was up. Yeah, so I was not really liking the things in my favour. But um, I managed to wash the fish around, pull it into the rock pool. My, my ideal plan was to wash it onto the ledge and I was going to um, grab the leader and then tail the fish. But when I'd uh, timed it with the, to wash the fish over with the swell, I, the fish had literally swum right directly in front of me. So when the swell had pushed the fish over, it, it, this fish had just barreled straight into my legs. And oh, no. so it's not the water that knocked me off my feet in the video, it's actually the, the fish. So the fish has hit, hit, me, into the, hit me in the legs and um, it's knocked me off balance. I still managed to grab the leader, thankfully, because it, in that small amount of time of me falling off my balance and you know losing, losing game plan and stuff, the fish had sucked back out with the swell and started to sort of drop back over the ledge. And with that, with that weight of that tuna on the line, there was no way that was going to stay on the line. So I dug me sort of feet in and it sort of felt like it happened. You know, I had heaps of time to think about this at, at the time, but obviously I didn't. But I, yeah, I was like, dig, dig your feet in and, you know, let one, you know, lunge back and, you know, one big pull and, and uh, pull the fish back at the same time. So thankfully, I, yeah, I did that. And the leader, like, cut through the, my finger pretty bad, Abe, on the t on the day, but um, yeah, didn't feel that one either. It was that adrenaline, and um, I knew I had to get to my feet pretty quick and get that fish because I didn't know what how big the next set was going to be or whatnot. So I got up pretty quick, grabbed the fish, and um, made my way back up the ledge, and then yeah, turned around, seeing there was a fair fair stack of crowd and people cheering and stuff like that. And, yeah, <laughs> felt good. Yeah, man, the, the, that was like I won't forget that that rush of adrenaline and just the. The feeling of success afterwards you know like we've done it especially in such a you know hard predicament you know like it was not in our favor definitely yeah it's a ripper video too so we'll have to share that one again for sure <laughs> but when you're land based fishing what are you looking for are you going to known spots or are you out there on your own checking checking everywhere out and um testing them a couple of different things with the sight casting um stuff i was doing earlier on in the chat i do that basically at named locations you know that are real known for these fish but it's not just the just like showing up there at any time you know it's it's a bit of uh you know prior scouting you know uh prepping it checking the weather the tides the currents you know even ringing the locals knowing what's going on having a hand in that is always helpful you know knowing what's going and running at the time being caught but that that's what, sort of what goes into that with it with when we fish this area around here, I fish with the drone. Um, it's totally different. We're not, we'll just show up anywhere and we're looking for, you know, any surface action, any activity in the skies like birds, um, any sea life like, you know, whales, uh, you know, sharks, dolphins, manta rays, all that will hold, you know, other, other predators and other, and other fish. So that's what we're looking for when we're drone fishing or bait balls, you know, bait balls. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm going to have to check out this drone fishing. Yeah, I've never seen anyone do it. Yeah, well, it, 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 like it's great with this area we've got because with our your headlands we've got here, you can drive up with them with your car, jump out. Visually, you can see what, you know, if, you know, what a cow, I'm not too sure. You can see a fair way with your eyes, you know, and looking for birds, stuff like that. But with the drone, I can fly like, you know, one and a half, two Ks down the beach and literally look straight on top of what I, you know, little splash on the water or bust up I see. I can fly over the top of it, identify what it was, you know, 
how many's there and what's going on and whether it's worth a look and or whatnot. So then, you know, if we spot something down the beach and it looks good and you mark it on the drone, it's two k's away. You jump in the car, drive two k's down the beach or down the road, and drive back onto the beach and have a crack at it. Makes it pretty it takes quick a and lot easy. Of the guessing out. Yeah, yeah, and that that too. You know, like still when you're fishing, you just you know you, you you're sort of hoping or you're, you're guessing. You know, you're hoping you're in the right area and all that. But with the drone, it's the right fish too, for sure. Yeah, and that too. It's the target species. But with the drone, you're narrowing that right down. You know, <laughs> makes it pretty. Yeah, cool. that's cool. It's um, yeah, I'm gonna have to look into that because. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, get um, you out one day, put you on to one. 100%, man. Yeah, I'm down for that. Yeah. But, uh, it's one of my it's one of my favourite things now is, you know, like catching a fish is good, but putting someone else onto these fish, especially via the drone, it's, it's yeah, it's next level. It's, you know, it's, it's a great feeling, you know, people watching someone else enjoy that, you know, that thrill is sick. Yeah, it's amazing how many, like, people who fish a lot. So I, I just got back from Fiji, a trip there, and there's a couple of guys there who just fish day in, day out, and they're unbelievable fishermen. But you can tell, as soon as you see them, they put someone onto a fish, fuck, they love it. Yeah, they love yeah. watching someone else get a fish, yeah. especially a good fish. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I love it. So, it. Yeah, it's cool, man. It's good to see. But um, so look, I was going to finish it up there, but this morning I was going through your YouTube channel, which is awesome. I'm going to put that in the show notes as well. But I noticed you've done a couple of bucket list trips that I want to do. And uh, that's Big Cat Reality up north. Yeah, yeah. So hey, tell me how you scored that. What happened there? Oh, that, that boat's just, it's a dream boat for any angler. It's a must-do for any any keen fisher, that boat. so And it has numerous trips as well, like numerous locations or, or style of trips. But um, I've been on it twice, luckily enough. One, I went out to Wreck Reef, which is in the middle of the Coral Sea. And uh, that fishing, that, that trip was epic. It was just the Wahoo yellowfin. We were just off tap all week. And the second time I went Big on... Big trip out there too, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a after... A couple of days, you're saying? Um, it was after that that cyclone that levelled Vanuatu, like uh, right. a fair few years back now. But um, So I think it was like four and a half metre swells or something. So, yeah, the boat can handle just about anything. I thought we were going to die. Like, there was a few... <laughs> it, I, I've, I've been offshore a fair bit, and I'm pretty... Um, seaman person like a oh, seaworthy person i'd say that jesus yeah seaworthy <laughs> whatever you are mate <laughs> seaworthy person but um yeah that that trip really had me on edge i literally thought we we're gonna die but most of the other guys had um sleeping pills and we just were out to it for the two days so it was like i was on a ghost ship i was walking around there was no one around the plates were smashing on the boat you know and um whoever was up was spewing and um yeah, the waves were hitting the hitting the the hull of the like when I was in the bunk, I was checking my bed. I thought it was you know, saying it was wet, thinking it was sinking. I thought it was you know on the Titanic. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, and you're a long way offshore. Like there's no yeah, help. Yeah, no, nah, no. Nah. I think it's 450 nautical miles out there. It took us two and a half days to get out. Yep. Seven days I, fishing. I don't think there's a lot of people who get to go out there. Um, I've actually done a podcast with one other guy. He goes out there spearing every year. Yeah. With, I think it's the Coral Sea Cowboys. Yeah, yeah. They do it. Yeah. But, you know, from what he was telling me, it's a pretty untouched sort of area. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's got a fair bit of history in Australia too. Like that, um, you know, just uh, the, that, there's that um, Wreck Reef was named after the, the, the boats that crashed out there during the early discovery of Australia. Yeah. All right. I didn't know that. Yeah, you'll have to look at the end of that one. It's a good one. So, um, oh, bloody, what's his name? Not Captain Cook, the other bloody fella. Him, he, they took out three boats out there and they crashed. 
And uh, oh, did they? Yeah, one was Cato, and the other one. So there's Cato Reef that's named after that boat, and the other one was Porpoise, I think. HMS Porpoise that crashed out there. And uh, is there anything left over? Yeah, there's an anchor out there and a few things, but the story that you know that the holds to that to that um, tragedy that happened out there is crazy. Like, I think it was 83 sailors were stranded on um, a little sand cay. It's not very big at all, just filled with seabirds, which it would have had heaps back then too. Um, they were stranded there, I think, for like don't quote me on any of these numbers or something, but you know, I think they were stranded there for stranded there for like 12 weeks or something like that. So what ended up happening was um, old mate ended up commandeering the, the camp and said, right, that's what we want to do. He, he set out certain blokes for certain tasks and he'd send them back to the, the shipwreck. They pulled the boat apart, started um, building stuff like they built a camp, um, dug a hole to bloody um, keep the meat cool and stuff like that. They dug a hole to build fire, make coal, build the nails um, to make nails, to make iron, sorry, to make nails. And then they built they built their own little um, skipper boat and bloody rode it from there back to Botany Bay, or, you know, Sydney. Botany Bay? Yeah, from, from, from um, oh, whatever, Cato Reef or whatever it is, they rode it from there back to Botany Bay and got help. That's a long way yeah, for yeah. anyone who doesn't know the area. Yeah. It's like, well, you, you could put, shoot, what, pretty well. Most of Australia, two thirds of Australia. Yeah, and that's with no like they didn't have no plotters, no nothing like that. They were just all using the stars and their, and their knowledge. You know, you, you can put two thousand uh, people out there these days, and every two thousand those people would die. For sure, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So twelve. Yeah, I think, I think I'd go down with it. Yeah, <laughs> twelve of them rode from there to Botany Bay and got a boat came out and rescued them, and got the rest of them. Yeah, got the rest of them. Yeah, and then so they were just getting water off the boat. Um, what's that? Off the wreck. The water, what were they doing for fresh water? Um, fresh water, I don't know. Hey, like, yeah, it's, I don't think it's mentioned so much about that in the actual tale that I read. Right. They probably had their ways. Yeah, they would have been catching probably rainwater or something. They probably would have got a bit of rainwater out there. They probably would have had maybe some storage of water on the boat. Because I remember, like, when you're reading the story, it says, like, they probably have water and pigskin things, like flagons. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah of I, course. I remember yeah. it was like saying, you know, you're, you're going to get five hog skins and that, and the, and the thing I was reading, you know. Yeah, there's a little plaque out there mentioning it and stuff these days, and I think there's still an anchor and a couple, a couple of other little things left over from the shipwreck, but it wouldn't be much. It's a fair few years back. Yeah, shit, eh? There you go. I didn't know any of that. Yeah, no, it's a good tale. Check it out. Yep. So you, you went out there. You've been out twice, you were saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the other time we didn't go to Wreck Reef. The other time we went to, um, where did we go? Swains. Swains. Top end of Swains Reef. So, yeah, that was pretty good. I won that trip via Tackle World. So that was pretty How good to that? Yeah, me and a mate. That's not a cheap trip. No, nah, no, nah, was oh, the yeah, trip alone would have been worth over ten grand. But then um, tackle world chucked in a heap of goodies too, you know, a heap of tackle and stuff like that. And I think how would you manage to win it? Um, they had one of those competitions, you know, tell us in fifty words what you do if you won the trip of a lifetime. And yeah, I can't even remember what <laughs> I said, but I remember I was like, yeah, that's a bloody winner, and just I'd click go on the trip. Yeah, click, click enter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And you got it. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, that was a just good like one. that. Yeah. So what was the story there? Well, I'll go back to the other trip. So you went out there, two and a half days, uh, ex cyclone. Cyclone's just gone by and oh. decent swell. So you were out there for a week. They they stay out there the whole time, don't they? Um, yeah, yeah. You live on board the ship because you're not going to go back and forth and do two days trip out there. But um, because they got a few good tenders too, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, but like I said, I, I think I got on that trip two weeks before departure. 
So the Worlds Brothers, Worlds Brothers for Wilson, they'd uh, notified me that someone had pulled out and had this um, ticket on offer. I, I just jumped in within like, I think before they'd finished the message, I was like, yeah, I'm on. <laughs> paid, paid for the trip and um, yeah, before we headed out, so that was, yeah, two weeks, I think, between paying for the trip and leaving that cyclone hit and they were nearly, the big cat were nearly talking, like talking about canceling it. But um, yeah, the, I think it just sort of turned the fishing on, you know, it stirred the seas up and everything like that, you know, before we got out there. So, because it was some of the best fishing I'd ever seen. Like literally you could have walked on yellowfin one day. Yeah, one day you could have walked on the yellowfin. They were hitting the boat, like full, just, just spearing in the boat like torpedoes. Yeah. Just mental. Yeah. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah. What was the number one tri- number one fish, sorry, you caught out there that trip? Uh, I caught... They get big doggies out there too, don't they? Yeah, yeah. It was, yep. funnily enough, none of us on that trip actually landed a doggy till the last day, which I landed the only doggy for the trip on the last day. But um, my biggest fish would have probably been, oh, we, did, we didn't weigh it because we're on like a... A sports fishing trip where you let all the fish go basically you would have you would have sunk the boat if you kept them all would literally would have sunk the boat <laughs> so you spirit you're spearing back these massive 30 40 kilo wahoo and stuff like that you know 20 kilo wahoo but yeah i caught a massive wahoo we didn't get to weigh it or really measure it because you wanted to get back in the water quick you know so um yeah it was a pretty big one that one that was definitely the fish of the trip or getting the doggy was good too you know because it was a target species and i definitely wanted one it wasn't the biggest one it was only a little one but you know i'll still take Counts. it yeah yeah, definitely. Yeah, so then then you got uh got the second trip. Yeah, You've been twice, same boat, big cat, yep. both times. Yeah, yep, yeah. And I managed and, uh, to catch um reef. actually managed to catch the for our tender the only doggy we landed. Uh, I got it on the last day as well. So <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what what's like a typical day out there? So I'm I'm guessing food and everything's included it, in the run. And you fish based on you guys or what's a day? Tell me a day out so, there. So. Basically, you get up. You get up in the morning. Um, Big Cat will have your breakfast sorted by like seven o'clock. I think it's six thirty-seven. They give you a quick little intro of um, what the weather's going to be like, you know, and the zone you're going to be fishing. And you jump in your tender with your buddies, and they call them out like, you know, in order. And then you think you fish for from seven till. 7 to 11 or 7 to 10, something like that. Sometimes they push it a bit more depending on, you know, on how, what, the, what the crew's like with the blokes that are on board, you know, especially with these um, with the sponsor trips and stuff like that. They've got a bit more pull because they've been on it so many times. But, um, yeah, you try and extend that fishing period out, have a quick little bite to eat, maybe at lunch. You can even, they even give you the option of giving their sandwiches so you can take the sandwiches on your tender and not come back for the lunchtime. But, yeah, generally you come back about 11.30, um, have another, they'll have your lunch ready for you again, you know, it's just it's exceptional bloody um, uh, service there on that boat, eh? You know, like have your lunch ready when you get back. And then you sh- as soon as you, you smack that down real quick, shoot back out, you fish from like 12, then I think through to 4, 4.30. And then you're back on the boat, um, chill out, have a few beers, have a chat with the boys on, you know, what the rundown was on who caught what through the day. And um, what's the game plan for tomorrow? And then, yeah, the dinner's sorted by like, you're pretty much gassed out by then. Like, you know, you have a, yeah, bet. you've had a few beers, you've had a whole lot of sun, you know, you're, you're pretty gassed out and off to bed, you know, and then do it again the next day. Jeez, how good's that? And do they cater it to you? So if you're going for a target species, are they going to try and aim for different oh, yeah. or locations or it's just this is what we're doing? No, no, no. They definitely, 
like that as i said they they definitely catered for that because both the trips i went on one was with the wilson boys you know like um they'll you know they moved the boat around for us or they anchored it up like one night they put it out in a bit deeper water and we, we smashed um job job fish and um, oh, gt's yeah. through to like 1 a.m in the morning <laughs> Fuck, how good's that? so yeah, yeah they definitely cater for the for the anglers on board eh? so it's definitely a good experience and top service. So recommend it oh hell yeah hell yeah <laughs> yep well it's on the list one day mate but like with all this, what's next for you? Like any big trips coming up? Any goals? Any target fish you haven't got before? Yeah. What's the plan? Yeah. Well, I'm actually at the moment. I'm chasing. Um, I still haven't got my land based Spanish. It's my arch nemesis. That fish. I've hooked. I said. Oh, I don't know how many I've hooked, but yeah, I've been bitten off, sharked, bloody snipped, pulled hooks. You name it. But that's that's number one. I'm trying to knock that off in the next couple of weeks. And how are you going to do that? Oh, you know. I've, We've got the drone, yeah, but there's a couple of other locations. I'm just just waiting for the right weather. Really, we've been getting some pretty bad weather here lately. But yeah, just waiting for the right times and the right weather to get down there and have the time off work and stuff like that. And the other trip I've got is maybe getting around to try and target the land-based marlin. But, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that'll be a fun one. Yeah. So a couple of <laughs> couple of different locations, you know. On, whether we're going to go north or south or what, where we're going to go and what time of year, you know. But, um, yeah, that's definitely up there. That's a fish of a lifetime and it's a must-do for us. So I haven't yet really targeted one, but, you know, I want to put some time in and start learning that sort of procedure. Yeah, okay. Yeah, shit. Big plans. Yeah, yeah. Stepping straight up now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's Spanish. I, I just went chasing them in Fiji. That's where I was a couple of weeks back. Yeah, yeah. And what I found they did, they set the drag really light. Yeah, yeah. They just set it light because it'd pull out. Yeah. Every time you tighten it up and they just almost just guide it back in. Yes, yeah. Obviously, well, that's about the only tip I got for you on that. <laughs> yeah, light drag always for mackerel, eh? Especially when you're trolling because, yep. you know, you've got a fish hitting at high speeds. You're already going the opposite direction as well. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, there's only so much a jawbone. Is going to hold on to you know before you break, sure. break fish's jaws and pull hooks but yeah i've always found as well sometimes even with big fish the lighter you go sometimes you know the better as well because they won't go so hard on your back especially with kingfish and stuff like that you know might even have been half the reason why we caught that big cobia because we were you know um so undergunned if i had 50 50 60 pound and stuck it to him he might have um you know stuck it back stuck it to me back and made it to the bottom because the fish was able to freely swim and feel a little bit more, you know. Because you weren't into it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because we're, we're only in, yeah. I think we're only in 30 metres, you know, 25 metres when we hooked that fish. So, you know, that, that fish could have easily found the bottom, you know, no questions asked. Yeah, there you go, eh? So that's the plans. Well, mate, but look, before we wrap up, anything you want to add? Anything we want to throw into this? Uh, no, mate, just thanks for having me. You know, can't wait to get back on and see what else for we can sure, talk mate. about, you know, knock out a few things. Yep. Absolutely. After you uh, get that marlin, yeah, 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 you have to do it. Yeah. Oh, I'm not too sure if I'm going to get in this season. Sort of already, um, you know, like I might might be missing the boat there. But um, yeah, if, if not this season, I'm definitely going to be getting down next season and definitely get one. I'll have a crack at getting one anyway. Yep. Yeah, because they're not a common thing to get off the rocks, are they? Nah, nah, nah. It's definitely you know, like getting one your first season is still like that's that's a rare thing in its own. Yep. I'm sure you saw that monster down at well, I won't even bother saying where it was. Yeah, yeah, that's, I'm, trying, I'm, I'm trying to keep my bloody tongue as well where, where we're all talking about. What we're not. Yeah, and I did see that fish. I think half of the world has seen that, that fish. 
absolute monster. Yeah, yeah, man. See, like a fish like that, you know, it, it, it can it can make you make a career, you know. For sure. You know, getting it, you know, but I'm not too sure if that one if he, that was class of record or not. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm not too sure. I think it was, but I don't know if it was official. Yeah. So these yeah, are small or... things that you know that can make it a break. It. See, I wasn't part of a fishing club. And that's shit, isn't it? And we didn't we didn't officially weigh the fish properly, like we should have we should have properly got it weighed. Because and because otherwise, you know, like I was you know, missed the opportunity to have my name written down there, you know, it's a fish for lifetimes, so they're hard to come by. I'll be lucky to beat that one. Like I understand getting it properly weighed, but and I don't know, maybe I'm a bit out of touch, but the being a member of a fishing club, like that's a tough one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I get it, they're a good thing for sure. I but. think it's basically that is just if you're a member of, a, I'm not even too sure what that part, like that actual ruling is, but I think it's more of that can, if you're in a club, you know, you've got the club members and say, you're, you know, his etiquette's good enough to club. Oh, yeah, you know? okay. You're not just yeah, some Joe yeah. Blair going, yeah, it was this bloody big, you know. Like, <laughs> full of lead. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that uh, yeah. fellow over the States stuff, that bass full of lead, but, you know. Yeah, that's wild, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think that's mainly probably what it's got to do with is that, you know, you're in a, you're yeah, in a okay. club and you're held accountable, you know, for what you're doing. Yeah, that makes sense, I suppose, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, look, mate, look, thanks for your time today. Like, I'm pumped like, to hear a few of those and hear a few of your future podcasts that you're going to do. Yeah, mate, yeah, like I said, this is the first first off, so I'm still finding my feet, you know. But, oh, um, you will, yeah. Yeah, well, well, I'm sure once we crack out a couple, we, you know, we'll, we'll get this, in, this ball rolling. Definitely, mate, it's good fun and it's good to get to chat to people, you yeah. know, from across the world. Yeah, yeah. So hear how they do it. And yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm always keen to listen to someone else and learn, learn something because, you know, that's basically where I've come from is always listening and watching and, learning yep. you know it's the best way to do it yeah yeah but but yeah look um i'll put all your instagram and everything in the show notes so anyone absolutely check that out yeah, youtube sweet. as well uh outside that we're aiming to kick off the classic website we're going to have some good longer form stories some charter partners um, some good clothing on there so jump on www.classic.co and sign up if you want to get notified when we go live and, uh, yeah, look, mate, thanks for your time. I look forward to chatting again soon and hearing some of the other people you speak to. Yeah, no worries, mate. Good to hear from you. Let's do it. Phew.